I met Phil Needle on Independence Day, 200-something-something years since America had freed itself from British rule, and just a few days after the pirates had returned from the high seas, at a barbecue commemorating that troubled time. I wasn't invited. The party was out under the cold sky with a view of the bridge. At the time this story takes place, the bridge was called the Bay Bridge, and it connected San Francisco to points east, where the country was originally founded, except during rush hour when it just clutched cars in a long metal standstill. The air was thick and no fun to stand around in. I stood around Phil Needle, who met my eyes only for a moment as he said the thing nobody could believe. We are pirates, he said, and his glance scuttled away. It's an American story, really, with an outlaw spirit. Leonard Steed, starting out in his private railway car, riding through someplace, when out the window there's a cotton gin rusting in a field just outside a tiny black town. He has the train stop. He walks into town and negotiates it because of cotton gin blues. You know that song? Phil Needle didn't pause long enough for anyone to answer but himself. Legend has it the devil came for Belly's soul, and Belly looked at the cotton gin and wrote Cotton Gin Blues right on the spot and won it back. That song changed Leonard Steed's life when he heard it at Harvard. He rode all the way back to Los Angeles, and you can still see it there in the lobby of his building. Leonard Steed just took that little piece of treasure, just like Belly Jefferson took his soul back from the devil. Phil Needle stopped surrounded by quiet astonishment, and took a sip of beer from the bottle. Nobody had been listening after We Are Pirates. I had to get away, too embarrassed to look at him. The pirate's voyage had just ended, and caterers required two weeks' notice to cancel, so they didn't cancel. Not a big time frame, this story. It had begun, the history said, around Memorial Day. It was over now, and I walked across the courtyard. Phil Needle's condo was in a shiny building everyone knew now as the home of the pirate. It was on the sixth or eighth floor, with an outdoor courtyard he shared with neighbors, hovering high over the streets to avoid the noise and dirt. It was landscaped with trees and benches, and a small waterfalled pond and a brick barbecue with sausages from kindly treated animals. They were Jews, the Needles, but there still wasn't enough food. Not a single person had declined the printed invitations, and the Needles hadn't thought to expect all the people like me who had tagged along just to lay eyes on them, after hearing the extravagant and ridiculous accounts of the pirate exploits. I went inside. The living room had a huge window showing me the bridge and the water and the wide boulevard of the Embarcadero a land of roller skates and tourists holding hands. Under a staircase was a grand piano with an orchid on it, sharing a pot with a little flag. It was surprising he could afford a place like this, but at the time this story takes place, most people bought places they couldn't afford. Just 18 months earlier, when the building was built, an advertisement was hung out for all the traffic to see. If you lived here, you'd be home now. They lived here. They were home now. In the kitchen, one last caterer hurried out, sliding shut the door behind her. 
Behind glass, the party was like the sound of the sea. I opened the dishwasher and shut it. A shopping list said they needed three things, and inside the refrigerator, everything had been pushed up against the walls, like furniture in a ballroom. On the bottom shelf was a plastic holder of four cupcakes from a bakery. Two were missing, and the other two looked old. I knew there wasn't going to be a cotton gin, but I kept looking.